Well, there are many people that believe that worship is to the Christian what smiling is to everyday life. Now, I hate to start with an SAT question (laughs) tonight, uh, but let's think that through for just a second. Many people that think that worship is to the Christian what smiling is to everyday life. See, smiling, you don't have to plan that. It's not on your calendar. Uh, It's just something that happens. Something happens on Tuesday afternoon that's funny and makes you feel happy. You smile. It's just natural. It's a reaction. Uh, Unless, of course, you have a family picture to take, right? Then you have to try and say cheese and kind of fake the smile. Well, people view that as worship in the Christian life. Of course, we all have our family picture uh, twice on Sunday. We have to worship on cue in the morning and everybody sing and now worship God and we'll do it again a few hours later in the evening and worship again. But between Sundays, well, worship, if it's going to happen, it just happens naturally. You You just do it. I mean, if something strikes you on Thursday that just makes you feel all willing to ascribe to the Lord glory, then you you do that as best you can. You break out in song. You say something uh, that ascribes glory to God. It's it's something that, that just happens. Now, that's the way a lot of people view worship, but it's just not biblical. That's the problem with that, that view. It's just not the way it works in the Bible. Matter of fact, if you read the Bible carefully and you just look for this theme, you'll find throughout the Bible... Many, many commands for people to worship. And the context is not at the organized assembly of people meeting together like we're meeting together tonight. But in the life of those that follow Yahweh, follow God, those even followers of Christ, though our instructions are very you know, minimal and, and, and truncated in the New Testament, we still have these commands for us in our everyday life to, to praise God, to worship. And it's something that we're commanded and we're instructed to do because the assumption is in the command that it's something that just isn't always going to come naturally. As a matter of fact, this passage, I suppose, particularly the very first verse, gives us here in Psalm 103 something that uh, is quite startling for people that think that worship should be a spontaneous reaction to some feeling or event that happens in my life. So take a look at this. Again, you pulled it up. We just read it together. But let's look at this instruction and think this through. And before I reread that first verse, I want you to recognize this particular passage being about worship. Matter of fact, take your pencil and and just circle all the times you see worship in this passage. You see it there? Find all the words worship, circle it there, circle it there. Oh, uh, I'm not finding that, right? You don't see the word worship here. Oh, you'll see over 1,500 commands in the Bible to worship, but you don't find a lot of them in the book of Psalms. Matter of fact, in the Psalter, in the Psalms, you find instead a lot of words here that we see in this particular text, words like bless, just in the Psalms alone. That word that, that, that we translate, it's barak in Hebrew, the word we translate bless is over 100 times translated in the New American Standard, in the ESV. It's all over the place. And only worship, you only find the word worship 13 times in the Psalms. We often think, well, this is the book of worship. Well, we're not not talking about that word particularly. We're talking about this very active word, Barak, to bless. And here is an interesting psalm where you don't find the worship leader or somebody here saying to everyone, 
Like uh, the word hallelujah. You know what that word means? We say it a lot, or some people say it a lot, but they don't know that it is actually a call for people to worship God. Hallel, right, to praise. Uh, Lu, which is this second person imperative, that little compound. And then Yah, which is short for Yahweh. Praise, and I guess I can say that here, y'all, that's the second person plural, right? Praise, in California, we don't know how to say it. Praise you, and you, and you, and you. Yahweh. That's not what we see here. We don't see someone standing in a crowd or speaking to his family, leading family worship, saying, hey, everybody, let's worship God. We don't see that. Matter of fact, this is kind of odd. It's almost strange. We see David saying, bless the Lord. Who's he talking to? Himself. Oh, my soul. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. He's speaking about himself. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And then we have, from verse 3 to verse 18, all these benefits that are described and all these benefits that are itemized. Now, what I want to do tonight is take a look at this very essential element of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, with all these commands to worship, you really can't say you're a growing, maturing Christian unless worship is a regular part of your life. It can't be something that is just scheduled where we all say cheese together on the weekend. And we praise God. Now, we should mean it. I get that. But we should see this punctuating our weekly schedule and our weekly life. And, and what I'm saying is that we need to start with this kind of mentality that David has here about worship. And I just want to take this apart. It would be a great night to take notes. I want to show in the first couple verses, as it reprises at the end of the psalm, in the last four verses, the way in which David is saying he should worship God and we should all worship God. And then we'll get into the middle of this sandwich, if you will, verses 3 through 18. And then I want to look at the things he tells us to praise him for. So let's figure this out. And let's start with the first word. If you're taking notes, we're going to worship God with, and I'll give you four things here. We could go for more than that. But four primary things are the ways in which we should worship God. And then we'll look at the middle of this sandwich and we'll say, okay, he now itemizes these things and we'll categorize those into three big groups. Okay? So... This is how we praise Him. That'll be the first half of our discussion tonight. And then the second half, we're going to talk about what do we praise Him for. And if we get these things straight in our life, my goal will be when you assemble again next Sunday, Lord willing, if Christ doesn't come back first, then we'll all be fine with that. But if you're here again, I want you to be able to look back in, in this last week and say, I did this a lot more because of Psalm 103 and its impact on my life, helping to train me how to worship God and what to worship God for. All right, you ready? Let's start. The first word, Barak, I said, this word bless. I mean, I, I, we can't go much further than that because you take a word like this, it really doesn't make sense if you know the vocabulary because the word Barak is the Hebrew word that literally means to bow down. Okay? Now, here's the thing about your soul. If the command is, bless the Lord, oh my, your soul can't bow down. It has no posture, right? He's talking to himself, his personality, the core of who he is. And he's saying, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. And that idea of bowing down, how does my soul bow down? See, the word barak is a word that is used when someone comes before a, a magistrate or a king or some prince and he physically bows down in the outside and gives homage and deference to the great king that he stands before. Well, he's saying this about our soul. You want to worship, he starts with a word that reminds us that what we're doing is we're we're getting humble before God. We're recognizing the disparity. 
Now, this would be a great Sunday, by the way, if you happen to have highlighters or you've got some electronic Bible and you can somehow see how this very intricate psalm ties together. Verses 1 and 2 is all reprised in verses 19 through 22. I don't know if your text is all on one page there. But we have again, look how it ends here. It says, The Lord, in verse 19, has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you mighty angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, who serve Him in doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His, in all places of His name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, you can read those four verses and see the idea that blessing fits very well. This idea of being humble and contrite before this great king with all of those statements, right? He's great. He's sovereign. His throne is in the heavens. He's got all these angels and they're more powerful than you and they should be bowing down to Him. They have to obey Him. They bless Him. They serve Him. They do His will. All the works all over. Praise Him. He's great. Now, if you want to put that in one word, let's put it this way. This week, when you think about worship between Sundays, what we need to do is to get in that mindset of being humble. That's really what we need. So you want to learn how to worship God, it's going to take humility. We worship Him humbly which gets everything in perspective. Uh, Now, I don't recommend reading the Apocrypha unless you've read the whole Bible from cover to cover several times. But if you've done it five or six times, it's not a bad thing to start reading some of these books that were so important. They're not God-breathed. They're not inspired. We're all Protestants. I understand that. We had the solas up this morning. I'm not a Catholic. But there are some great lines of some codified wisdom, particularly in Ben Sura, that that book, uh, Joshua Ben Sura. And, And... there's some great lines there. There's, there's just nuggets of truth like this one, which comes from chapter 10, verse 12. I don't know when the last time you quoted the Apocrypha from the pulpit, but here it goes. Okay? It says, The beginning of human pride is the thoughtlessness of God. I love that. The beginning of human pride is the thoughtlessness of God. The reason we don't worship sometimes between Sundays, which is what so much of the Bible is asking us and telling us we should do, it's our duty as as followers of Christ, as worshipers of the triune God, is because we don't think about Him, which really is synonymous with thinking we're kind of in charge of things. We kind of control our lives. We've kind of got, you know, Monday through Saturday covered. You know, we'll come on Sunday and think about the cross and forget. But I kind of got this between the weekends. Pride, right, is the thoughtlessness of God. It's the idea of not recognizing that everything that goes on in my everyday life, it really is contingent on God's will. It's contingent on, as it says there in verses 19 through 22, the fact that He is in the heavens and His sovereignty or His kingdom, His leadership rules over all. To put it in terms of the Apostle Paul as he stood before the professors in Athens in Acts 17, And they wanted him to come, and what's this Jesus you're talking about? And he made this great line as he starts with God being the creator. right? God created everything, and then I love this line. It says that he doesn't need you to worship him with your little temples and all of that. You don't need to put the food out and the flowers out for God. He doesn't need that. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Because he himself, here's the line, Acts 17, gives to all men everything, life and breath and everything else. See, one of the reasons we don't really bless the Lord with humility between weekends is we don't really recognize that everything we have, every, every neuron in your brain that fires properly, right? every, every, every beat of your heart, everything at work that may go right, everything in your family that goes well, 
I mean, the fact that you can go to sleep and wake up in the morning, all of that is a generous gift from God. And when we make that connection, there's no way to do that without being very humble. That I can do nothing on my own. That God is the provider and the sustainer of all things. Don't you love that line from Colossians 1? Speaking of the triune God, specifically the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, in Him all things hold together. All things consist. You know, when you think about the fabric of the universe, all it would take, I said this morning about the enemies of God, He could speak the word and destroy all of our enemies. Well, let's, let's really get that in context. If He just turned His back on us for a second, think about that. If he didn't have his sustaining attention on your life, the life of your children, the the life of your grandchildren, if he were not actively holding everything together, as Hebrews 1 says, he's upholding all things by the word of his power. If he weren't doing that, it would be all gone. Worship between Sundays really begins with a sense of smallness. I am a dependent creature. I am someone that anything in my life that goes good, to put it in the words of James 1, every good and perfect gift, it comes from God. Every bit of it. I have to recognize that I'm dealing with the provider of all things. If I can keep Him in mind and know His hand is feeding me everything, He's the one that gives me meals. He's the one who gives me joy. He's the one who gives me everything that I have. Anything that goes well right, is a good gift from His hand. It starts with that humility. Pride is the forgetfulness, the thoughtlessness of God. And real worship is going to begin with a humble perspective, a perspective that realizes that God is the provider of all things. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Here's the second thing now. He says it twice. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to himself, saying, hey, soul, bless him. Humbly recognize his provision. Now, if you want to take kind of the romantic, emotive view out of worship, that kind of does it, right? Where he's having to tell himself to worship God. If you want to think about it, it's just responsive, it's just natural. You wouldn't want kind of this insight into someone who has to tell himself to worship God. But that is precisely what he's doing. He's saying, this has to be something that I choose to do. If we're going to give these sub-points just a word, the first one would be humility. Here's letter B. The second one would be this, being intentional. It has to be intentional. See, I I said it's wrong to think that worship is something that's just going to flow. And I'm not saying there won't be times when I will erupt with some kind of thanksgiving and praise to God on a Wednesday. It's going to happen. But I need to realize that worship is no less worship when I get up and say, okay, right now I need to worship God. I need to be intentional. I need to recognize his provision. I need to say it's time to do this. Now, if you're a parent, right, you've raised your kids already or you're in the throes of, of raising your kids, you know here's one thing that doesn't come naturally, gratitude. Have you noticed that? They're not, they don't come out thanking you for things. Right? <laughs> Never get my kids in the car and they say, Dad, thanks so much for this great car that you, you, you've bought. And you know what? I know you're paying a lot for insurance on this car, aren't you? Yeah, just so I'm so so grateful for the gas that you put in it, and those tires. I know you had to get tires last month. Was, Dad, thank you so much that we have safe tires on our car today. Uh, shall I go on? In this fantasy, never happens. Right? Never happens. It just doesn't happen. But you want your kids to learn to be grateful, so they have a birthday party and people give them presents. And what do you do? Say thank you. 
And then we're going to go home and they're going to write thank you notes. And you're trying to train them. But what would it be if you said, well, I just want to teach my kids to be really authentic. And so I'm not, I don't want them to be thankful unless they feel it because they feel it. See? That's not how we work with our kids because your kid would be the ultimate ingrate. <laughs> right? My kids are already ingrates. I, I don't want them to be the ultimate ingrate. So I'm teaching them when you don't feel like it, be thankful. Even though you don't have it in your heart right now, get out there and say thank you. Be someone who responds with thanksgiving. That's a duty, you realize. And again, you want to take the, kind of the romance and the, the gloss off of what most people view as worship? Remember the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Remember that? One comes back to thank him and praise him, falls at his feet. And you know, you remember what Jesus said? He says, thank you so much. I know you had so many people to tell about your healing. I'm just so glad that you did that. Now, come on, go, go on. Enjoy your cleansing. Is that what he says? Is that how it goes? Here's the stinging words from Christ. Where are the other nine? What does that tell us? That tells us that Thanksgiving is a duty. Worship and praise to God is something we are obligated to do. If He gives you, this week, life and breath and everything else, and you survive through another week on planet Earth, and you sit here Sunday morning in this auditorium, we ought to be thanking Him throughout the week, punctuating our life with God. Thank you. Thank you. You're good to provide these things. See, I know we watch these worship leaders and we think, oh, it just flows out of them. It's so natural. You know, what's it like at their house? They must just break out in song in the middle of a commercial or, you know, when they're making the bed in the morning. It's not true. Right? It's not true. Don't think that worship is something that you don't have to intentionally plan, schedule, and sometimes look in the mirror and go, Mike Fabares, get, get to blessing God right now. Oh, my soul, worship Him. Do it with humility. That's what the word bless that's repeated throughout this psalm is all about. It's that humble, bowing down. He's great. I'm small. He's the provider. I'm the recipient. And then intentional. Oh, my soul, you may not feel like it today. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Let's just deal with this phrase in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now underline it if you can. I don't know. If you've got it electronically, maybe you can't. Don't draw on your screen. <laughs> but here it comes. All that is within me, bless His holy name. All that is within me. All that is in me. Okay? Now, there's lots of words I could pick for this, and I'm really torn. But if I'm going to put one word and say, how do I worship Him? Well, I worship Him with humility. I worship Him with intentionality. I worship Him now, let's put it this way, with let's call it sincerity. Or in a close second in my mind was, was thoroughness. Right? The totality of my, my being. I need to not just parrot the word. Speaking of our kids, we teach our kids to say thanks. Now, you've been on the receiving end when a parent, you've done something for a kid, you've given them a piece of licorice or something, and, and the parent goes, oh, Johnny, Johnny, come on, say thanks, say, say thanks. And the kid's looking at his licorice and he goes, thank you. Right? And you've been on the receiving How did that feel? didn't feel real good. And, and you realize, uh, you know, I try not to make those faces when the kid does that because the parent's patting them on the back of the head. Come on, say thanks. And, uh, because I know they're training the kid to say thank you, but it's so much better, isn't it, when you sense that they own those words, that it really is their thought that I, you know, I am thankful. I am grateful. I mean, I, you've really got my attention here, and I am grateful for what you've done. That's a kind of sincerity 
that a lot of us lack when we say, okay, Mike, I got the first part, need to be humble, God gives me everything, I'm going to be intentional this week, matter of fact, put it on my day timer, I'm going to schedule it, and I'm going to make sure that I do morning, afternoon, I'm going to say thanks, thanks, thanks. And you might just utter those words and think you've done it, but David was right to say, this better be an authentic thing. It's got to be something that really you stop and say, I need to mean these things, this is sincere. And a lot of times you can see how sincere your thanksgiving and praise is when you recognize what it costs you to do that. As a matter of fact, maybe some of you at some point in your life, or maybe even now, you've served as a, as a, a waiter or a waitress, have you not? They've got a way to figure out how sincere your thanksgiving is, do they not? matter of fact, they even name it that on the bill that you get. It's called gratuity, right? How grateful is this person? Now, you can go to the restaurant and you can say, oh, thank you so much. You're such a nice waiter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then when it comes time to fill in that little line next to gratuity, you go, mm, $3. Right? Unless your bill was for 5 bucks, that's not a very good tip. The waiter and the waitress will tell you, I don't really believe how much this means in terms of their thanksgiving until they prove it by something like that. Now, I'm not here to talk about money, but let's make that real clear. We pass these plates in the middle of the service. And I'm sure from time to time your pastor or one of the pastors gets up and says, well, this is an act of worship, right? We're praising God. We're thanking God. We're bringing Him a gift here. Now, the quality, the sincerity, the authentic nature of your thanksgiving to God is not only in this plate demonstrated, but also throughout the week when I look at what am I going to do in response to what God has done for me. Is it whole life? Remember when David was uh, wanting to praise God and wanting to build this altar on the threshing floor and he had the, the owner there, Aruna, who was talking with him about this and he said, as you might say, if the king came up and said, I'd like this piece of property, you know, he'd go, oh, oh, absolutely, king, you can have it. You don't have to pay. Remember what David said, King David? He said, I will not offer to the Lord right, an offering that costs me nothing. Love that. Right? I'm not going to bring my praise to God if that praise does not cost me something. And all I'm saying is if you start scheduling your Thanksgiving. If you start saying, I'm going to tell my soul with humility that I'm, I, I'm going to be more focused and thoughtful about my praise between Sundays, I just want to make sure that it's not just something you squeeze in as you make your commute home from work. It may be something that you now set aside time where you're not reading whatever it is you would be reading. You're not watching whatever it is you would be watching. You're not engaged in the hobby you would be engaged in. You're actually carving time out of things you would like to do. You're sacrificing. See, sacrifice and thanksgiving, they always go together in the Bible. It's very important for us to do some introspection and say, what's the quality of my worship look like between Sundays? Not just measured by what I'm giving on the weekend, which is an important gauge of that, but also what is really this praise and worship to God every week? What's it costing me in real effort, sacrifice, displacement of things I would rather do? It's not parroting the words thank you. It's not lip service. It's not rote formalism. It's not superficial. It's genuine. It's sincere. 
Lastly, in verse 2, and we won't take much time for this, although we should state it because we're getting near Thanksgiving. It says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, here it comes, forget none of his benefits. Now, he's going to spend verse 3 through 18 itemizing some of those, and we can categorize them and use them as a template for us throughout the week. But to say forget none of his benefits as the thing that I'm supposed to now remember as I praise him and bless him with all of my heart intentionally Uh, that's something I think that is missed by a lot of people, and I say we need to remember this come Thanksgiving, because one thing we will hear in the media, right, when we watch, I'm sure your local news does this too, when you get near Thanksgiving, the newscasters look at each other and talk to the weatherman and say, oh, Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for this, and aren't you thankful for that? Oh, I'm thankful for that. Everybody talks about Thanksgiving, and there's never any real, there's two things that need to happen. There has to be content, right? There has to be something specific and there has to be direction that I'm thanking God specifically for these specific things. So let's call it this, number four. This is just that we're going to use one word titles for this. I got humility, intentionality, sincerity. Let's call this specificity, which is a fun word to say. Specificity. Specificity. I want to be specific. I don't want to ever be general. I have to be specific about what I am thankful and grateful and praising God for. And I'm going to be specific about who I'm directing it to. This is not just like the newscasters just throwing it out in the air. Let's all be thankful. Secular people do this around the the Thanksgiving table. What are you thankful for, Johnny? And they'll say what they're thankful for. But, of course, they're not religious people, so they're not thanking anybody. I mean, I'll give them credit on one side of the column that they're being specific about something. But who are they thankful to? See, we have to direct our thanksgiving with specificity. It has to be clear. This is something we connect to God, and it's something that we are thanking God for and praising God for. Now, that would be easy to memorize. I did them with one word, so maybe we could this week. Humility, intentionality, sincerity, specificity. And I'm just looking now to see if it makes an acronym. It doesn't. HISS, I guess is what it is. HISS. There you go. H-I-S-S. That's not bad. Can you remember that? It makes no, there's no real logic to it, but humility, intentionality, sincerity, and specificity. So you see another Christian that was in the Sunday evening service, just, okay? That's how we worship God. That sounds evil. This is not working. Because when you go off the notes, you just start talking in the pulpit. It's not a good idea, but hiss. Didn't plan that. How do we worship him? Humility. Intentionality, sincerity, specific. Now, what do we worship him for? Let's take our cues from David, this inspired psalm writer here, and let's look at these things, verses 3 through 18, and let's figure out a pattern here. Now, here's where it would be great to have some highlighters. okay? Because what he does is he gives us a line, or two lines, and then he unpacks it later. Now, if you're taking notes, do this if you would. Verse 3. A, if you will, the first line, who pardons all your iniquities. There's the theme. Now he's going to come back in verses 10 through 14 and unpack it. Now follow me. Look at that now. If you had a highlighter that was one color, that would be a good one to highlight with one color. He pardons all your iniquities. And then verses 10 through 14, and now he talks about that in detail. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins. He hasn't rewarded us according to our our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He's mindful that we're just dust. 
Now, there's an explanation of how great it is that he pardons our iniquities. Okay, three things, and these are big things. You want to find some categories, create a template, and fill it in this week. Then here's the first thing, right? Forgiveness. I mean, nothing's bigger than that. I don't care if you came here saying, well, you know, this week I got diagnosed with cancer, my wife left me, my dog died, my stock market portfolio crashed. Great. If all of that's true about you, I'd say it's a really bad week for you. Really bad week. But if you walk through those doors with your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then here's the thing. Every single thing you've ever done that is sinful, everything that has ever been a transgression against the holy God that should toss you into outer darkness has been nailed to the cross and 100% completely forgiven. I don't care how bad your week is. Right? You've got content. You say, oh, I have no, nothing to thank God for. I just got a text when I was sitting in the front row about to come up uh, from someone and their life is falling apart. And they said, Pastor, can you call me? Now think this through. Life is falling apart and I think, wow, uh, what in the world? Because I know some of the situation. That person's life is really just, it seems like it's circling the drain. This is horrible. And yet I could take this first point and say, you know what? you got content all week to get excited about, to thank God for. When he says in Matthew 7 to people that stand before him, before his tribunal, depart from me, I never knew you. I think that's the scariest passage in the New Testament. Depart from me, I never knew you. If you're sitting here today and your trust is in Christ, that's a line you'll never hear from God. Depart from me. It gets even worse in Matthew 25. When he says, depart from me, you accursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that's going to ring in the ears of people you know. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now he's talking to human beings in that line. You're never going to hear that. You will never hear that line. That will never be directed toward you. When he says in Revelation chapter 20, that the dead will come before Him at the great white throne and the books will be opened. And every deed that someone has done that is sinful will be cracked open in the books and they will be judged precisely with exacting precision for every sinful thing ever done in that person's life. They will be judged according to their deeds. That will never happen to you. Never happen to you. If you're a Christian. See, you can get a lot of bad things in perspective if you just start realizing He has pardoned all of your iniquities. How far? As far as the east is from the west. How big is love like that? It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. God would do that for me? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think this through often. God could have populated the earth any way He wanted to. Right? Couldn't He? He could have grown children out of, out of, out of the carrot patch. Right? They could have fallen off of trees. They, they, could have, they could have just come out full grown out of, I don't know, out of the walls of your house. But instead, he has this process where we create these little people and they come into the world and they goo and they, 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 they don't do much. They sit there and cry and they want to be fed and, and we love them instantly and we care for them. Now, think of the things these new moms and new dads will do for that little bundle of joy that anybody else looking at would say, there's not any joy I see in that at all. Right? Really. I mean, the, I know that sounds very cold and heartless, but you look at what really you're getting back from that kid. Nothing. They do nothing. Take, 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 take. Right? And you're getting up at 2 in the morning and, and it's a quick little whim. You're, getting cam- you're buying cameras to watch to see if they're going to murmur so you can run in and help them. Think about that. That's craziness. 
why do you do that? I love my kids. Well, they don't seem to be loving you back, right? Not at two months. They're not loving you back. They won't even, they just, I mean, they do nothing for you. But you have compassion on them. You have compassion on them. You've seen proud dads walking around the halls with their, their babies in this church? Yeah. And that, that kid can do a lot of wrong things. And what does that dad do? Forgive, forgive, forgive. I mean, think about this thing that God has graced us with. The ability to be parents. God is not, I mean, he's not our father saying, well, this is an analogy I'm going to use because, oh, you guys have kids. He is someone to us and says, I'm going to give you an experience that's going to tell you something about me. We won't pop full-grown people out of the clouds. I will allow you to be so intimately attached to these little people that you love so much that you'd lay your lives down for. And you forgive them. Dirty diaper after dirty diaper after dirty diaper. You keep on going. Cleaning them up. Re-swaddling them. Kissing them when it's all done. Think of the craziness of that. And they do it. Generation after generation after generation. And he says, I just want you to know how much I love my people. Yeah, you're sinful. I get it. You failed this week. I understand that. Repent. Bring your words to God, as the prophets say. Come. Reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, They'll be white as snow. Confess your sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Should that be enough fuel for us to worship God with humility and intentionality and sincerity and specific? Forgiveness is a huge category and I wish I had all night to talk about it. But we've got to do it. We've got to remember what a big deal it is that we are forgiven people. Matter of fact, and I can't miss this opportunity and there's no service after this, right? So I can go on all night. I noticed you didn't say amen to that, people. All right, then. But I do want to point this out. There are three distinct words that are used over and over and over for sin, and I think it's worth pointing out. Verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. There's the first Hebrew word that's used often. Okay? That word is much like the word we often hear in the New Testament that is translated, sometimes at least illustrated, falling short. It's not measuring up. That's that Hebrew word that translates sins. Look at the next, next line. Nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Ivan, Ivan, that Hebrew word is the word perverting or twisting. You know, there are some things that you didn't do last week that you should have done. There are things you didn't measure up to. There are things that Christ would have done that you didn't step up and do. Right? That's falling short. This is taking the right thing and, and the perversion, the twisting it. And that is the thing. And he's taken those things even and forgiven them. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our, here it is, transgressions. There's the third word. There's that word of crossing the line. That's a good description of what Adam and Eve did. Don't touch that. You touched it anyway. Don't eat that. You ate it. Don't, 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 don't do that. And, and yet you did it. I mean, if you think about those things, falling short, crossing the line, transgressions, twisting, iniquity, perverting something that God says, do it this way. And he said, no, I'm going to do it this way. God takes all those things, and you could spend time, and it's not a bad thing, to think of our sins, be specific about our sins, look at the gravity of our sins, see the sinfulness of our sins, and then spend the afternoon being very, very specific and intentional and sincere about how grateful you are that every one of those has been absolutely wiped off 
the face of the map. It's not there anymore. Forgiven. It's a big deal. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. That's what those words mean, Yom Day Kippur Atonement. The Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the the Old Testament Hebrew calendar. One of the things they did there, which I think is illustrative of this idea as far as the east is from the west, they would take two goats, and the one they would kill after confessing all the sins of Israel, right? the, the high priest, oh, here's what they've done, they've done this, we've done that, we haven't done this, we've twisted that. All the sins, transgressions, and iniquities of the people, they would confess, and then that, that goat would die. And then there was another goat. And you lay the hand uh, the, of the high priest on that goat, and, and you would confess the sins. And, and do you remember what they did with that second goat? Released it. We still use that in the idiom in modern English, right? We call it the scapegoat, right? The scapegoat. Off he goes. And he wanders away from the village, away from the town, away from the people, away from all of God's people, into the wilderness to never be found. Hopefully you don't bump into the scapegoat when you're out, you know, doing whatever you're doing. Off it goes. Gone. Forever. What a great picture. Every year. I mean, we do our traditions, and you do whatever you do for but what a great picture. The death of Christ takes your sin, and off it goes, as far as the east is from the west. Anyway, we could go on all night on forgiveness, and I don't want to do that, although I want you to do it throughout the week. Look at verse 3, middle of verse 3. Middle of verse 3 and verse 4, it says, Who heals all your diseases, now let's group this together, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Now, let's tie all that together and make my case now that you've got in this text the idea of problems, whether it's an illness or, verse 4, some temporal problem that's illustrated with you in a pit, you're in a hole, and God, because of his love and compassion, gets you out of it. He, he fixes the problem. Okay? It is a kind of thing that now is unpacked in verses 6 through 9. Follow this now. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Now, I may think real generally about that if it weren't for verse 7, and now I'm getting specific because it's called me back to to 1440 B.C. when it says here, He's made His ways known to Moses and His acts to the sons of Israel. Who was oppressed in the lifetime of Moses? The Israelites. They were enslaved. They were brutally and ruthlessly enslaved. And then they called out to God and God delivered them. Now it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, although he did get angry at that generation, did he not? Abounding in loving kindness, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now there's two generations that are depicted there. You had the pit, if you will, of Egyptian enslavement. You had the people delivered. Then you had that generation rebel against God at Kadesh Barnea when they wouldn't trust him to enter the the promised land with the 12 spies. Remember all that? And then they go in. He didn't keep his anger forever. And he let Joshua and Caleb and that next generation come into the land flowing with milk and honey. The picture of these people, first in need in in slavery in Egypt, and then in need as they walked around the, the desert and God had to feed them with manna and quail and then bring those kids into the promised land. Here is God providing, let's call this second category, deliverance. And by this, I'm talking about a kind of deliverance that's temporal. I mean, letter A is eternal deliverance. I should be punished for my sins eternally, but I'm delivered from that because I'm forgiven. 
But then there's all kinds of things I get into. And, and it's a problem. Like we talked about this morning, surrounded by enemies. Or I got sickness in my body. Or I got a problem in my church. Or whatever it is. And God, his track record is he gets in there and fixes problems. And every time he fixes a problem, we celebrate it. We should celebrate it. Israel was called to celebrate it with sanctioned holidays. Remember this, the Passover. Right? God does this, remember this. Celebrate it. Take a week off and feast and rejoice and remember what God has done. This is God's pattern. Talked about this morning. Piling stones. Remember the good things that God does. This is small s salvations. And this is an important distinction. If you're new to reading the Bible, particularly the Psalms, you'll see salvation used as a word. And here's how I like to say it, though it's not done this way grammatically. There's big s salvation and then there's small s salvations. There's eternal salvation when sin is forgiven and it's removed as far as the east is from the west. And then there's all these temporal salvations. When you couldn't afford a place to live and God provided it. When you couldn't afford your insurance and God provided it. When you couldn't get out of this mess or you were diagnosed with that illness and then you recovered. I guess I should comment on who heals all your diseases. It is a kind of temporal deliverance. You may say, well, you know, people are dying of disease all the time. I get that. One disease is going to kill you finally. Right At some point. That's the promise of Genesis 3. But you're sitting here, most of you, in relatively good health, and you can look back at all the things you've been through and, and look at all of those as, as little microcosms, as little test cases of how God has come in and healed your body. God has come in and fixed your problems. God has come in and got you out of that mess. And we can all celebrate those ups and downs, those left turns and those corrections. Those are the things that God wants us to illustrate as we think in our own minds, bringing content and specificity to our worship. Worship Him for forgiveness. Worship Him for deliverance. I was going to go here, but just write it down if you're a note taker. Psalm 68, 19-21. Another example of the way God, even in the, in the subtle ways, comes in and bears our burdens. He is the God of our salvation, which in that context is not only capital S, but small s. He's the God who delivers us from death. But here's how it says, he be- to God belongs escapes from death. Plural. Love that passage. He's a problem solver, a dilemma fixer. He's a, he's a sickness reliever. He does those things. And when he does, every one of them deserves celebration. Verse 5. Psalm 103.5. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Just like this morning, we talked about those still water times and the refreshment of our soul. We may not be living in one of those periods right now, but, I mean, he provides those, doesn't he? I mean, you can chronicle those. There have been times when he's provided this this person in your life that's been, been just what you needed. This season of your life, this job, this opportunity, this ministry. And you've said, that's just what I needed. That was so good. That was just life-giving to me. Right? That's the kind of thing, I want to just put it under this heading. Refreshment. Maybe a lot of one-word subpoints here. Forgiveness, deliverance, and refreshment. Whenever you experience refreshment, and I don't care how small it is, it can be a blip on the radar, it can be tiny. Because if He gives us every good thing, right, we need to realize God would want us to see those things as provisions from His hand. He goes on to say this in verse 15. I'm talking about the highlighting here, and I know we've gone through it quickly here, but verse 3, pardon sins, is unpacked in verses 10 through 14. 
heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit. That's unpacked in verses 6 through 9. Verse 5, satisfies your years with good things. Well, that's unpacked in verses 15 through 18. Notice the connection. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. The wind passes over it and is no more, and its place acknowledges it no more. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember His precepts and do them. That's a great text. His loving any any expressions of His loving kindness in your life, or how about your kids' life, or your children's children's lives? How do you celebrate their birth? How do you celebrate their birthday? How did you celebrate whatever it might be that brings to your heart that sense of, man, life is good right now. Every one of those needs to be celebrated. Let me read one passage for you that I think is helpful. It's a passage that it brings it down to the small things, small things like the meals that we eat. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you're a note taker, verses 3 and 4. And it's talking about the false teachers out there that say, well, you can't get married. That's wrong. And they advocate abstaining from certain foods that you're not supposed to eat. And all of that is very instructive and helpful for Timothy with the false teachers in Ephesus. But then he says this great statement. All those things, he says, right? Like like the joy of a a good marriage and and, and the feeling of, of a good meal. He says, God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Think of that through for a second. We've just talked about the joy of a relationship, right? A romantic marriage relationship and food, right? Which is, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, I felt great after lunch going to lunch with your pastor, but within two hours I was ready for another meal, right? That's just part of my problem. But, you know, it was like, it, it, it's, so, it's so ephemeral. It's, so, it's just so, it just, it goes away in no time. And yet every single thing that I eat, if it is something that God, it says here, I recognize to be gratefully and thankfully given as, a, as an expression of, of, of worship to God, God is saying, that's what I want you to do. I want you to enjoy it, to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. At that restaurant where they serve that great food, right? when all those non-Christians are around eating it, God didn't make the food for them, really. I mean, we'll let them have it some, I guess, if, as long as they pay for it. But God says he's created all that good food for those who believe and know the truth. Does that make you feel special? Make you feel like God's doing that for us? God created marriage for us, those who believe and know the truth. And it says in the last verse here that I was trying to have us note, verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. Here's the asterisk now. If it is received with thanksgiving. See? God is concerned that we worship Him. He loves to bring refreshment, to renew our strength like the eagle. He wants you to leave refreshed from a good sermon. He wants you to see a sunset over your beautiful landscape here in Virginia. And and He wants you to experience the joy of that, but then He wants you to thank Him. Get sanctified by that. He loves hearing His children rejoice in the things that just make us feel refreshed. What they call it, refreshment. It's easy to miss the connection. And you know, I preach this sermon on myself. I mean, every preacher should say that about every sermon, I suppose. But as I was preparing this for you tonight, I thought to myself, you know, this is a challenge. Life gets so busy, we get to moving so quick, we see a problem, we fix it, we got an issue, we got to solve it, we got a meeting, we got to go to it, we got an event, we've got to attend to it. I mean, our lives are going. I know everybody feels really busy. But there's nothing more important for us as the people of God to see God in our everyday life and to praise Him. 
And some days you just have to get up and say, today's the day. Right now is the time. This afternoon, bless His name. Bless His holy name. He's a good God. He provides these things for us. When the people of Israel were making it into the Promised Land, Joshua was commissioned there in in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And it says, here's the problem. I'm afraid that when you go into this land and you eat and you're well fed, I mean, I'll just quote it, you've eaten and you're satisfied, you've built your houses and you live in them, and your herds and your flocks, they multiply, and your silver and gold, they pile up, they multiply. When all that you have multiplies, I'm afraid here then that your heart's going to become proud and you'll forget the Lord. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery, that you don't worship Him, you don't remember those things. You may say in your heart, it says later in that passage, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8, you may say in your heart, you know, it's my power and my strength and my hand that made this wealth for me. But, he says, no, don't do that. You shall remember that it is the Lord your God because it is He who is giving you that power to make that wealth. I know none of us consider ourselves wealthy or rich. I get that. But everything you have, and it is a lot more than most people in the world, every meal you eat, every laugh that you enjoy, every sunset that you experience, every good thing that God gives, and it may not be as many as you want, but everything that is good comes from the Lord. Don't forget Him. Forgetfulness of God. That's the epitome of pride. Be humble and bless the Lord this week and do it between Sundays. That's the calling of every Christian. Let's pray. God, help us to be humble, intentional, sincere, and specific about the way you have in our lives forgiven all of our sins. I mean, how great that is. That topic, it's inexhaustible. It's an inscrutable topic to think about. The price that you paid to take our sin and to take it away from us. To take it off of our account. To have Christ say it is paid in full. I know we sing of that all the time and it's good that we do, but our passage goes on to say there's a lot of other things that God, there's a lot of other deliverances that He brings, a lot of small s salvations that He provides. And every victory, it should be remembered, it should be chronicled, it should be a point of praise. And forgive us here, God, as we think about that, that we haven't praised You as we ought. That there are many things that You've done for us. There's been many deliverances and protections and advances and promotions and and gifts and things that we've received that we just haven't been grateful for. Make us more grateful. And then, God, we know that even tonight before we put our head on a pillow and go to sleep, there will be little things that make us smile, little things that refresh our hearts. A word here, a smile there, an experience, a song. There will be something that refreshes our heart that's an expression of Your loving kindness to us. A snack we have before you go to bed. Something tiny. And You say those things are given to be gratefully received by those who believe and know the truth. So, God, let us be more about that, the business of worship. God, I know the Bible has a lot to say about evangelism and a lot to say about service and a lot to say about teaching, but far more than that, I mean, just statistically and numerically is how often you call us to be people who worship you, who thank you, who praise you. So make that a regular and intentional part of our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just sitting there thinking, um, just searching my own heart, and uh, there's really nothing that that thrills me more um, since I became a believer uh, to know that I'm pleasing to God. You understand what I'm saying? 
I mean, when you obey God, and especially when it's difficult, it seems like that that's, that's when it's so evident, you know, uh, to me. Like, you know, okay, I did the right thing. According to the Word, I know I did the right thing. And, and, and one of the things that fuels me is, uh, is knowing that pleases, you know, the Lord. Now, in, in the big S scenario uh, or, or realm, the salvation realm, you know, God is is just as pleased with you today as He's ever been because your foundation is Christ. He he's, He sees Christ. Um, but then there is the you know the obedience part. And so I was just just sitting there thinking, you know, this week I want to increase uh, my thanksgiving to the Lord because what we're taught tonight is that pleases you know God. And I was obviously thinking about little Bella when you were talking about you know babies. Uh, 18-year-old and 2-year-old, God's sense of humor, right? But um, I do love her unconditionally. <laughs> and she, just her very presence uh, brings me brings me joy. And it's a really hard leap for me to make that I actually do that to God for, for no reason whatsoever. So I'm going to meditate on that this week and try to remind myself that, that in... Ten million ways more, uh, more than the way I see Bella, you know, God sees me because of because of who He is, and I want to please Him by being intentionally uh, thankful. So, I thank God for uh, for you. I really do. You are a you're a source of of joy in uh, in my life. Um, and I, I give God thanks for that. Thank you for uh, for laboring in the Word and uh, sharing both of those with us. Some really, really, really good stuff. And uh, I'd just like to pray uh, to close in, in prayer. We're going to pray for you because uh, you're going to be ministering tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and uh, you've never been there before, never preached uh, at uh, at Liberty. Don't even know in some of the places what you're going to get into. So uh, um, you didn't know... It's not. It can't be. I mean, look, he, he preached to us. He didn't know what he was getting into here either, right? So um, let's bow together and we'll be dismissed and, and we'll pray for, uh, for Mike. Father, I was thinking about how uh, he described um, the way you could have created uh, full-grown human beings, but, but you didn't. Um, and my mind immediately went to how you could have uh, chosen any way to communicate your word, uh, but you chose um, human vessels, um, earthen clay, dung pots, uh, to to hold the treasure of the gospel. And um, I thank you for for Pastor Mike. I thank you for his willingness to uh, to come here and uh, be a be a vessel. Um, we know the instrument. Um, that he that he carries does the uh, does the tinkering in our hearts the word and we know that the the spirit wields the sword but you you bring all that work about through means and our brother will be your means this week so we pray for him we pray that he'll get a good night's rest tonight that as he goes in and teaches uh, Monday and Tuesday and preaches that that you would just refresh him. Um, that it would be something out of uh, out of his ordinary uh, ministry that you would you would encourage his heart and encourage others, even as he has encouraged us today. And um, you be with his family, with his wife, 
gives his children back home that he has left to serve us and them, and that you would bless them. Um, and Lord, uh, help him to be thankful uh, this week. Help us to be thankful uh, this week and obey your word. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.